0: Well, when we started this series, I offered you two visual parables to begin with. One is all about the velocity of life, the way that that we're living our lives today, and that was embodied in a Toyota commercial. Take a look at it. You can get it all done. You can get it all done. You can get to the party, you can get to the game. You can celebrate life, but you're going to pay a price for it because you're going to be going so fast. The velocity of your life is probably going to squeeze the life out of you sooner or later. But that's the way thats the way we're wired to live these days. And yet we all know that we want something different. And this is what we want. Just you and me. We want to feel the love. We want the baby and the dog. We want the baby and the dog life. And in the middle of wanting that with all of our hearts, we rush here and we rush there, and we're constantly losing our grip on what God might want for us. In the first message, I asked the question, what's driving us? We are driven by the velocity of life. We are defeated by the velocity of life. We are diminished by the velocity of life. We somehow know in our souls we are more than the velocity of life of life. And this, this entire series uh, that I've done, I put in a booklet. It's over 30 pages. It's available outside. You can also go to springburns.org and, and download it so you can have all the, the information that we, that we went through over the last eight weeks or so. Uh, in, in chapter one of Ecclesiastes, where we began to grapple with Solomon's wisdom I talked about the why questions, the why questions of Ecclesiastes drive us. Why is life so hard? Why is life unfair? Why are people unkind? Why did that happen to me, her, us, them? What's God's purpose in all of this? Why is there so much corruption? Why, is, why did the hurricane, the divorce, the economy, the lack of security, the injustice crash into my life? One writer put it this way, when the storm hits, we are worn out by the wise. In Ecclesiastes 1, Solomon wears us out with the wise. What's driving us? What's driving us is we're flying through life trying to answer the big questions of life with limited knowledge. The only reality in which we get real answers is the reality of God's revelation in Jesus Christ. He's the anchor for life. One, one writer called him the hinge of history. It's where we see who God is and how God thinks and how God would act if he was in the situation. It is the anchor of a reality. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Christianity does not involve the belief that all things were made for man. It does involve the belief that God loves man and for his sake became man and died. I have not succeeded in seeing how what we know about the size of the universe affects the credibility of this doctrine one way or the other. The only reality in which we get real answers is the reality of God's revelation in Jesus Christ. And that's why we come together so often to learn from God's word and to see what God is doing in our lives. I gave you the seven velocity tests of your life that first week. Life will test your character. I talked about how efficiency is doing things right. Effectiveness is doing the right things. Life will test your faith. Life will test your capacity to forgive. Forgiving others and forgiving yourself. Life will test your comprehension of love. And I quoted you something from This Is Us in their opening season premiere. Things not said, advice not given, envelopes unstamped, regrets enveloping me, the pain, the secrets, oh, to be given a chance, a start, the restart, the fresh start. Will love come for you as it did for me? Find you, wreck you, save you, change you. And if life breaks for you the way it would not break for me, if love hunts you, finds you, captures you, Will you hold it tight, nurture it, protect it? I hope you will. I hope you can. Life will test your comprehension of love. Everybody wants love. And everybody wants to know and understand the depth of love. And the the incomprehensible height of love. And the all-encompassing surrounding of your life with unconditional love. And this is what God brings to us. This is his wisdom. Love is always his wisdom wisdom. I said the the next test is the test of of your vision. Your vision will be tested. Can you see what you don't see? Can you live for something that's beyond your capacity to understand, but you know it's there because you know God has outlined the future. I said life will test your commitment to responsibility. And finally, life will test your resolve and resilience. There are only three kinds of people change. This is a quote from John Maxwell. I've always said that the three times people change are, one, when they hurt enough that they have to, when they learn enough that they want to, or when they receive enough that they're able to. In other words, they have to feel the heat, see the light, or receive the strength. Which life test are you in right now? We went on to talk about hills and valleys, and I said if I know anything about life, I know it's filled with hills and valleys. Each hill has a name. Each valley has an emotion as deep as the valley itself. Hills and valleys put their mark on us. They stretch us in ways we didn't want to stretch and grow us in ways we didn't want to grow. Ways that we would not have chosen for ourselves. And this this quote from Stephen Furtick really rocked me back a couple steps. Could it be that you're asking God to remove the very thing he's been trying to reveal himself through? Could it be that you are asking God to take away this one thing that he's been trying to reveal himself through? He's been trying to break into your life, but he needs you to to see this, to understand this, and you're saying, God, oh, please take it away from me, much as Paul did at one point in his life until he realized that God's strength was going to be revealed in his weakness. What what could you be asking God to take away right now that God has designed for your growth and maturity? What's the name of that hill? What's the name of that valley? In Ecclesiastes 2, Solomon tells us about the hills and valleys of our lives from looking at his own hills and valleys, his struggle to find happiness, his journey of desire, his Race track of economic security, his pursuit of wisdom, and his anxious walking into a future that is unpredictable and out of our control. To the person who pleases him, it says in Ecclesiastes 2.26, to the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. So God says, I want to give you wisdom. I want to give you knowledge, understanding, and I want to give you things that will make you happy Listen to me, love me, walk with me through all of your days. When you go back and look at chapter two, something jumps out at you. It's the the use of the the pronoun I. Solomon keeps using I, I, I. I said to myself, I treated, I tried cheering myself with wine. I undertook great projects. I made gardens and parks. I amassed silver and gold. I became greater. I denied myself nothing. And he's so caught up in himself that he is missing the whole point. The point is not you finding you in the journey of life, but you finding him in the journey of life. In order to get there, I taught you the marks of a missional church. A missional church, if it is to have a missionary encounter with Western culture, will need to confront society's idols. And one of the big idols today is, in the world in which we live, in this culture in which we live, is personal security. How do I get personal security for me? How do I take care of of my life? How do I handle what's coming up on the horizon for me? And that has to be confronted in ways where people understand that it's always about something bigger than that, something bigger that God really wants to do in you and through you. A missional church, if it is to reach people in a post-Christian culture, must recognize that most of our more recently formulated and popular gospel presentations will fall on deaf ears in other words people aren't listening to the same old songs people aren't listening to the same old story in the way that it's told it's the same story of god coming into the world but it has to be done with more creativity It has to be done with a new level of of insight with what would it take to move somebody from being outside of this room to come to this room on a sunday morning so that they could hear the greatest message and the most dangerous message in the world. How can we do that in new, creative, and compelling ways, ways that are relevant to where people are today? A missional church will affirm that all Christians are people in mission, in every area of their lives. People are always in mission. There's something that you're called to do each and every day. And a missional church must understand itself as a servant community. A counterculture for the common good. One of the best ways we still have to show the world that, that we understand, that we get it, that we're different, is to go out of our way to make things happen like the Thanksgiving baskets. To go out of our ways, out of our way to take care of somebody who doesn't have anybody there to take care of them anymore. To do things not just outside of the church, but inside of the church. Where we become good toward each other. Where we, be, we become compassionate toward each other. One of the, the most often brought to my mind parables of Jesus is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And uh, if you remember it quickly, you got this man goes down the road to Jericho. He gets beat up. He's left in a ditch. A priest comes by and he goes... Man, I got to get down there because I got to give a message. And he goes on down. And then uh, I think it's a Levite comes by, say, an assistant ministry person. And they go, man, if I don't get there, I'm going to get in trouble. I don't want to be late. I got to get down there because ministry has to happen. And the guy's laying in a ditch. Somebody comes by that has no other agenda that day, but maybe I can do something to help somebody if that happens right in front of me. And he takes care of that person. Well, that happened to me this morning. I was coming here, and I have to get here. I like time to get here and to be quiet in the office, to kind of get my head wrapped around the message and to get ready. And, and, and there's this guy sitting on a uh, on, on the street, literally right up against the curb. and And you could tell he's had a really bad night, and he's hungry. And it took me about three seconds to figure that out, and I drove right by him drinking a cup of coffee and eating a blueberry muffin right on by and then I realized again who I really am and who God really wants me to be and so I did a turnaround uh, I did an engagement you know I took care of his needs in the immediate sense of take care of his needs not because I, I want credit for that or not because you know I'm you know I'm different than anybody else because I know that that's what it means to do good in the world in which Jesus Christ gave his life for. And um, I saw him walking away to go get something to eat. Uh, I, I knew that was going to put me behind schedule, but it, the schedule doesn't matter when you're confronted with an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Christ. And I wish that for all of you all the time because that changes the world and it changes the world's perception of who we are. In Velocity of the Gift, I ask you this question. Where are the things by which one measures one's life? Where are the things by which one measures one's life? I talked to you about three ways that God works. And if you could remember anything I've ever said, you know this would be one of the things that I would hope that you would remember. Intervention. God works through intervention. But it's, it's, it's rare. It's when God shows up and parts of the Red Sea. It's when God shows up and takes care of our need. Uh, where do you need God to show up right now? You know where you want God to show up. You know where you want God to intervene. But most of the time, God's always going to take care of that. He, he always will because that's what he does. But most of the time, he's working in two other ways. Interaction is what God wants. He wants us to be responsible for ministry and mission. He changes the world through our efforts. So how are you changing someone's world like I did this morning on my way into church? How are you interacting with the world and being what God wants you to be for someone or for something? Interaction is, I think, where God gets uh, a lot of traction, and sometimes we fight God on this. Interaction is what we all need. Something inside of us needs transformation. We need to deal with an emotional hurt or a relational stumbling block. God wants to change us from the inside out. Where is the interaction for you right now? Intervention, interaction, interaction. It's how God works. I ask you some questions. Questions coming from a book called The Me I Want to Be. How do you become God's best version of you? How do you assess the well-being of your soul? Am I growing more excited about what God is doing today? Am I growing more easily discouraged these days? Am I growing more easily irritated these days? Am I finding rest these days? Am I finding edge in my life these days? Which is, I interpret edge as creativity and passion. Am I expecting God to show up? And I said, you want to change those questions and make them really pop in your life? Put the word why in front of those questions. Where am I growing more excited about what God is doing today? Where am I growing more easily discouraged these days? Where am I growing more easily irritated these days? Where am I finding rest these days? Where am I finding edge in my life these days? Where am I expecting God to show up? In each where question, God has given you a gift. It's in these gifts that God expects us to find our lives Rick Warren puts forth life's five greatest questions and I gave those to you. What will be the center of my life? What will be the character of my life? What will be the contribution of my life? What will be the communication of my life? What will be the community of my life? Which is the most important question for you today? What are the things by which you measure your life? Then we talked about what survivors do. And, uh, and these four themes uh, are very easily translated into our lives all the time. Four themes that that weave themselves together and form our lives. There is the theme of needing to see each day as a gift. What will this day mean? What's in this day that's a gift to use, grow with, and do something with? Is there an insight? Is there an opportunity to seize? Or is there a moment that will seize your heart? That just translates so large into the kingdom of God and what he's doing. Is there a moment that seizes your heart and moves you? Martin Luther put it this way, faith is permitting ourselves to be seized by the things we do not see. Second, there's a theme of needing to know if God is there for you. Having a personal relationship with God is the essence and the beginning of really living. And you go, you almost really don't have to say that. But it has to be said because we go so fast, the velocity tries to take over our lives. We need to come back to knowing that there's more in our soul that wants to come forth. And that comes forth out of relationship. There is a theme of heart-to-heart connection, real friendships, not shake-and-bake friendships, not mix it up and put it in the oven for an hour friendships, friendships that happen over a long period of time through commitment, through real heart-to-heart sharing. Real relationships, really understanding what it means to live in love and grace, and deep understanding relationally. Somebody asked me a question the other day about a a, a dicey, difficult relational situation. You know, and, and and what what do you do with something like that? I think we all have those now now and then. And I said one word: grace. You know, allow grace to be in that relational moment. Allow grace somehow to define the parameters of what God's trying to show you. And finally, there's a theme of knowing a mission worthy of sacrifice, worthy of your sacrifice, something you become passionate about giving yourself to, something that you get passionate about, I get to do this. We get to have this church. We get to have Spring Branch Community Church. We hold it in our hands and we get to live this and do this and create this and see God shape it through who we are and what we bring. And that's just an amazing blessing. If you misunderstand the first theme, you will think life owes you more stuff. If you misunderstand the second theme, you'll think God must not let anything bad happen to you ever. God can't do that to me. If you misunderstand the third theme, you will demand someone fills your emptiness and you will make them a prisoner of your loneliness or deep hurts. If you misunderstand the fourth theme, you will think personal security is optimal and sacrifice is optional. So the challenge of being a survivor is to have the wisdom to know four themes and where you are and where you are In Dogs and Lions, we talked about Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3 of Chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes. We got to a place where we talked about the difference between uphill climbing and downhill sliding. and, And we titled that section Intentional Living. Intentional Living always has an idea. Unintentional Living always has an excuse. Intentional Living fixes the situation unintentional living fixes the blame intentional living makes it happen unintentional living wonders what happened intentional living says here's something i can do unintentional living says why doesn't someone else do something you see the goal of intentional living is to finish well In velocity fools rush in we talked about the inside out rules of fools and I'll leave those for you to review in your packets. Uh, but we talked about your struggle defining you in ways that you can never be defined beside your struggle. We talked about how rest is oftentimes the only answer to feeling empty. We talked about how if you don't find a place to say it, it will consume you until you do. We talked about how you need someone in your life who makes you a better you. You need someone in your life who's willing to tell you the truth about you and love you through it, not let you go in the process. God desperately wants you to be desperately passionate about what he wants for you. And I think that's something that I I try to anchor my life on. God desperately wants me to be desperately passionate about what he wants for me. To be diligent is to do the thing that requires you to go beyond ordinary expectation to extraordinary responsibility. The ten fools rush in responses to life. I will leave you uh, for your review in the packet, but there's only one wise response to life in God's economy, wisdom and honor. Wisdom and honor. That's what God's calling us to. And there's truth, timing, treasure, and theology that form this this journey into wisdom and honor. Truth means allowing facts and reality to define our lives. Timing means knowing that God is bringing all things together in his time, being patient and being patient in prayer. Treasure means embracing the inherent value of every relationship in the body of Christ and outside of the body of Christ. People are the treasure God gave himself for. Treasure means looking for ways to bring honor into our homes, workplaces, and ministries, and finally theology. Biblical principles define all aspects of our lives. We have to bring faith and life together each and every day. And so we come to chapter 12 of this amazing book of Solomon, this book that tries to to do this giant overview of wisdom and come up with an answer. And in chapter 12, he gives us his answer. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop. When the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades. When people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs... Grow faint When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets. When the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire is no longer stirred. Then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken. Before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well. And the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God. Gave it, And then he echoes back to the way he began the book. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. And it's almost like he's going to end there, but he's not. He he says, remember God in those early years of your life, because that is what's going to carry you through when things get hard in the late years. And I'm going to tell you one more time that life is futile outside of this one answer that I'm about to give you. And he takes this turn. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words or sometimes it's defined as delightful words. And what he wrote was upright and true. So what he's writing for is to get people to listen, listen and hear what God wants to say. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings. Like firmly embedded nails, given by one shepherd, they're sort of an echo of God's the one that gives wisdom. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. I happened into Barnes and Noble yesterday, and the making of no book, the making of books has no end, and they're piled up, and they're ready to go. And I bought several, and several were like 50% off. It was a great table, and I bought Winnie the Pooh and also some works of Ernest Hemingway. But they just keep making books. They make books and they pile up and we buy them and we give them to each other. Be warned and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. So here he comes now, this whole great book, this whole big flyover of wisdom. He's coming in hot and fast for this one final statement. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. Have this this reverential direction to your life always. Be in awe of who God is and what God is speaking into your life and what you can do for God. Live out his prescription for life. Live out the, the way that he has defined life to be. He's got all these principles in his word. He's got all this... Information that he expects you to put into the fabric of your life. So live that way. That's all there is. It's the conclusion of everything. Then he has this little PS for God will bring every deed into judgment. The whole way that you've lived, you're gonna end up seeing what it is, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Paul writes about that, writes about that. Judgment, the fire hits your life and whatever you did for Christ is left over and everything else is, is burned up. You see, Solomon concludes his great book of wisdom with one main thought. He began questioning the meaning of life. He looked at life from a multitude of perspectives. He described the difference between wise and foolish living. Now, this great king who once asked God only for wisdom leaves us with these thoughts. Always live in extreme reverence for God. Embrace all he has given you. Be passionate about painting his truth on the canvas of your life every day. Living in this way makes your heart and God's heart one. Being one with God is the wisdom of life. It's the experience of the wisdom of life. So here's my prayer for you. And I hope that you will live this prayer. I hope you'll memorize it. It's short. It's easy to remember. I hope you'll keep it with you for the rest of your life. Lord, may your words be my words. May your thoughts be my thoughts. May your will be my will. Amen. Somehow in our souls we know that we are more and the velocity of life. Dear Heavenly Father, you've allowed us to, to look at this great book of wisdom. You've allowed us to to apply wisdom into all the areas of our lives so that we can live for you and you can live in us and through us. Father Solomon has ranged far and wide and finally he has announced that we need to live in extreme reverence for you. We need to embrace it all that you have given us. So help us to be passionate, Father, about painting your truth on the canvas of our lives. Father, we remember you this day. and We give you our lives. Lord, may your words be our words. May your thoughts be our thoughts. May your will be our will. Amen.